you have your Bible, or if you grab one in the seat in front of you, you can turn to Matthew 24, which is the dominant portion of our time together today. And um, so I'm Pastor Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. Let's see. Pastor Rob is in Missouri at a wedding for his sister. Pastor Gregory is out of the state um, visiting with a friend at another church. And then Pastor Bruce is in Texas um, doing a wedding. Uh, for a former member, and today we're talking about the rapture, and I'm kind of wondering if it happened. <laughs> so when we think about the end, every you know, it's interesting, because I think everybody thinks about the end. It's not like just common to Christian people. People think the world's ending one way or another. But when we think about what it says in Scripture, the study of last things, the things that we know are coming on God's, uh, the horizon of God's plan, which is unfolding, um, and maybe we're part of the next events, maybe we're not, but it's kind of like reading a a mystery novel. So you read a mystery novel, and all through it, you, you know characters, and you get hints about who done it, and you, you're guessing along the way, and you're trying to figure it out, And when you get the last chapter, there's the aha moment. And so in Scripture, it's similar to that. The only thing is, in Scripture, we don't have the last chapter. It's not clearly spelled out, the things that we talk about. We say that there are some events, and we'll look at them in a minute, on God's calendar. We don't know exactly when they are. We know what they are, and we know what might be leading up to them, but we don't know exactly what they are. And today will be a big view of those things, and it'll... It'll filter down to a response that everybody in the room will be asked to make. If you're a believer, you're going to be asked to make a response. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ, you're going to be asked to respond to what you hear today. And so I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you guys this morning what we have in store. And so in eighth grade, is really the summer leading into eighth grade, I had a paper route that year, and I saved up enough money to get this new radical beach invention called a Mori Boogie Board. And it's been a few years since that came out. And I remember being so excited to go use it. And it was the first day, and I showed up, you know, we used to hang out around Tower uh, 5 when I was that age. And I'd take the bus from Golden West and Heil, go down to the beach, had my boogie board all excited. Well, the surf was kind of big that day, and maybe it was a rising swell, but I was real excited. Just, just thinking it was going to be so fun, this new, this new innovation, my new, my new toy, you know, just real fired up, and I'm going to be able to ride waves in a way that I never had before. And so I'm paddling out, and I'm paddling out, and it was pretty big, but it just wasn't gigantic until some freak-out set came rolling in. And this thing's building and building, and I'm paddling and paddling. I don't want to die, so I'm paddling as fast as I can, trying to get through it. However, like a Tom and Jerry cartoon wave, a big giant fist formed at the top of that wave, crashed me down to the ocean floor through the water, and I went to shore shamefully uh, without having ridden any waves, but saving my life. So there was that. And I just think, you know, we all face things that are both hopeful and threatening, and we're just kind of used to it. Like having kids, right? Having kids is just one of the most anticipated fun things, but man, 
like that, I've talked to everybody, I think everybody's been through this, that first ride with that bundle of joy in your car and for several after that, you're just, it's just different. What you think about, what you anticipate, and then the lifetime with your kids certainly is potentially filled with both hope and peril. But there's other things, learning to drive a car, right? You, so, so like this is just a hope-filled time, but it's also, there's, there's potential for peril and other things like uh, taking your first new career job, the first flight on a commercial airliner, or your second flight or your third flight, or like, who knows, right? So like hope and peril, and, and we navigate through these opportunities all the time, and in God's economy, and God's plan, out there in the future for everybody in the room is either one of two things. Waiting for you in God's plan is either hope or peril. And it all depends on where you stand with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about these things. Um, I'm going to have to look at this screen over here with you. But here's, what we're, here's what's next according to what the Bible teaches on um, the, the end of the world, basically, but how things are going to wrap up in God's plan. I want you to know something that's really important. We're going to cover a lot of ground. This is very summary. A lot of what we're talking about is summary. Don't forget, we're going to start... Big, to big time top of the funnel and filter down to the response each of you will be asked to make in the room. And it's, it's not scary or public. You'll be okay. The next thing to happen on God's timetable is the rapture. This is imminent. It could happen now. It could happen in the next five minutes. It could happen in the next five or 50 years. That's part of what I was talking about, how the mystery has given us clues and hints, but we don't necessarily have the last chapter we definitely don't have it on that. We just know that it's coming. When it comes, it will be instant. And it's the blessed hope for the believers because what will happen at the rapture is we will instantaneously be removed from this earth. Believers in Jesus Christ will instantaneously be, be removed. And so I don't know what you think about the world. Sometimes I think it's one of the most awesome places to hang out in. And other times I think it's just gross right? And so um, my wife was sharing with somebody the other day, you know, like earth, our life on earth is the worst, the worst thing Christian, as a Christian you will ever experience, even though God's given us the things of the earth to enjoy. It's the worst. And as good as it is, it gets bad sometimes, and we're going to be delivered out of it. It's going to be awesome. And what happens at that point is we enter a grand reception, like a party with Jesus, for seven years. That's if you're a believer. If you're a non-believer, what you are facing in the future um, is called the tribulation. Immediately after the rapture, and immediately is in quotes because we don't know how long. Is it immediately an hour? Is it immediately a week? Immediately two or three months? We don't know exactly. But very soon after the tribulation, um, unbelievers left behind in this world will face seven years of a horrible, terrible, awful time that you really don't want to be involved with, filled with much peril. And that's, what, that's what's going to happen. That dividing line, that is just going to be nuts. Whenever it happens, rapture, believers go, unbelievers stay behind. It's going to end with a severely intense world war. Following that, Jesus will come to earth to reign as king. And that'll last a thousand years. It's going to be awesome and great and glorious because Jesus, the perfect 
Christ is going to be ruling on earth, and Satan will be bound for most of those thousand years. The Bible says that um, for a short time, he's released at the end. What's a short time compared to a thousand years? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. So the short time might be a year, it might be 10 years, it might be 100 years. None of us know, but during that time, the, the population of the world ends up revolting against Christ, and uh, there will be a final conquering, and then the judgment. And following the judgment is eternity, and eternity, believers spend it in heaven, unbelievers spend it in hell. That's what's coming. We don't know when, but it's worth paying attention to, and that's what Jesus is telling us um, in Matthew 24, where we will get in a second. But what's important to, to, to gather now and really as you move forward thinking about these things are your potential responses. I created this scale to just try to kind of help us understand where Jesus wants us, and again, we'll see this in a minute, is ready and watching. But this is what he says here in Matthew 24, 44. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So readiness is really important. What's it mean to be ready? If you're a believer, what's it mean to be ready? If you're an unbeliever, what does it mean to be ready? And Jesus himself said, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So predicting the day or hour it's kind of, it's frowned upon. And that's kind of the, the work of an alarmist. It's frowned upon, it's not necessarily called sin, but it's not called a good thing, so you can debate whether or not it's sin. But predicting is, is out of the realm of possibility. Be cautious, that's why it's yellow, if you speculate. Jesus told us signs, he told us to pay attention, he says, when you see these things, know that the end is near. So speculating is a caution zone. But man, where we want to be is ready and watch, watching. But where we also don't want to be is indifference. We don't want to not care. We don't want to just put our head in the sand. I don't like thinking about those things. I don't, talk, I don't like talking about those things. But the sinful place to be is scoffing. You don't want to be the person that says, they've been talking about that for decades, first century. You don't want to be that person. Look, Second Peter, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And it goes on to say, for they will say, ever since our fathers slept, we, they've been talking about the return of Christ. And so be careful. And where we want to find ourselves, anybody in the room, is in that middle spot, ready and watching. And so what did Jesus have to say about that? The Bible talks a lot about prophecy. There's revelations, a whole entire book dedicated to it. Um, there's allusions to it in so many books, especially in the Old Testament. But we just want to hear from Jesus today. There's a lot here, but I want to encourage you to please read and listen along with me um, prayerfully and thoughtfully, because all this thing, all of this stuff matters for your personal hope um, or encountering peril, which we pray you don't. We're starting in verse 3. Jesus said, or gets ready to say, As on the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulations such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, <coughs> pardon me, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will, will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus talks about these signs. They, the, the disciples wanted a sign. I, I, I just believe people have wanted a sign about how things will wrap up for this world, um, whether they're Christian or not. And Jesus explains what to look for. And he explains how to be ready. 
And I, ju I just think it's so important to pay attention to. And he used what are called signs. Now, I know signs. You guys know signs. Signs are used basically for two things, especially out on the road, right? Signs warned. Keep right. One way. Do not enter. They're warnings. They're to prevent you or anybody else from getting hurt. Signs are also there to give us direction to show the way. If I'm going from Huntington Beach to San Diego, I'm going to see a sign that tells me how many miles away that might be. And along the way, I'm going to progressively see it get shorter. It's going to be 80 miles. It's going to be 65. It's going to be 50. I'm going to pass Oceanside, Carlsbad, Encinitas, Lucadia, and all the rest until I get to San Diego. <clears throat> so we're here to pay attention to these signs. And I don't know if you heard it, but the idea is that the return of Christ is soon, which to us doesn't make much sense. Because like the scoffers, we might be tempted to say, well, it's been 2,000 years. But here's what we got to understand. Time is different from God. And while you might feel like Candace from Phineas and Ferb, the most amazing genius written cartoon maybe ever written, it's a cartoon about these two little, these two brothers who are off on summer vacation. They want to make the most of every day. Uh, during summer, and somehow or another, they're able to do these wild, um, these these wild events, these wild activities, like put a SeaWorld type um, park in their backyard, killer whales, dolphins, and when they do these things, their sister sees them, and instead of playing along with them, she wants to rat them out, and she always wants to tell mom. So at this SeaWorld in the backyard episode. She's on the phone with mom saying, mom, get over here, hurry. There's whales in our backyard. There's dolphins in our backyard and all the stuff she's trying. And okay, Candace. And she's begging her some more. And she finally says, I'll be there soon. And Candace responds classically. She says, mom, soon is the square root of never. <laughs> and I'm like, what a hilarious, what a funny quote. Where did she get that? What brilliant story writer did she get that from you know did the writers get that quote from so i looked up on google who said soon is the square root of never candace from phineas and ferb so it's her quote and they wrote that but that's how it feels sometimes but jesus isn't interested in us being dismissive about his signs He's interested in everybody here in this room and everybody who follows him and even people who haven't believed in him yet knowing the signs, the warnings, and the directions. So I'm not going to comment about every one of these signs or long. I do have a couple stats, but not very much. But just what do you see going on around you that are warning and or showing the way? The first thing is many false messiahs. So Jesus is saying that through history, there will be people showing up saying that they know what's best for the world, uh, follow them, and they'll figure it all out for you. There's many historical figures that that's been true of. Wars and rumors of wars, um, those have gone on always. Are they going on now? Um, by the way, he talks about birth pangs, and so the idea is that what we see here as signs will happen, but more and more and more intense as uh, the end draws near. He talks about nation rising against nation and kingdom rising against kingdom. And so we know there's a war in Ukraine. You might have heard that South or African nations just kicked France out. There's all kinds of things going on. There's rumors of war, so there's all kinds of things. 
We don't hear much about famines because they don't affect our region that much, but there are famines going on in the world. There's more anticipated because of uh, the war in Ukraine. It's just not a good thing. Earthquakes. So earthquakes means earthquakes, and in the Greek, it also means shakings in the sky, shakings in the sea. So there's all kinds of different things that it could mean, including uh, like fires. Have you noticed that there's been a lot of wildfires? You might have forgotten because it's been all of two months. But it felt like all of Canada was on fire. Remember, all the smoke came down into New York. Um, it was horrible pollution. It was, it was just not a good thing. Wildfires this year in Canada are up 600% compared to normal. More than 42 million acres have burned. How much is 42 million acres? It's 8,400,000 Crosspoint campuses. It's 607,000 acres is Orange County, so it's 69 Orange Counties have burned in Canada alone. But we should not leave out Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Algeria, Tunisia. Last year it was California, France, Colorado, Washington. It's just going crazy. We know Maui was devastated by fires. Good news out of Maui, though. The death toll has, count has dropped to below 100 and only 31 missing, so um, they were quite a bit higher. Uh, there's a, a hurricane. Hurricanes happening in places where they shouldn't necessarily happen, especially in summer. Libya has over 6,000 people dead because of the hurricane, that hurricane Daniel that hit them. 10,000 are missing. Um, of course, we shouldn't forget Maui and the fires that happened there, like I said. Um, but then there were hurricanes uh, bearing down on the East Coast right now. And let's not forget about the tremendous threat and peril that came because of Hurricane Hillary. And this isn't just kind of like me. Here's NBC News, just a, a, a headline. Eight catastrophic floods in 11 days. What's behind the intense rainfall around the world? Because even just this weekend, there's floods in Spain and France. They're devastating. Online, I've seen some crazy hell storm, hail storms. Um, and all this stuff is going on in the summer. It's really odd. Um, and then he goes on to talk about... Uh, religious persecution, which I also wanted to highlight because unlike these things going on around the world, maybe we don't know enough about this. In 1993, Christians faced high extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries. This number has nearly doubled to 76 countries in 2023. In the top 50 alone, 312 million Christians now face very high or extreme levels of persecution. Worldwide, one in seven Christians now experience at least high levels of persecution or discrimination, with one in five in Africa, two out of five in Asia, one in 15 in Latin America. And you might have read in the news recently that there were churches being burned and Christians being persecuted heavily in Pakistan one week after Randall was here visiting us from Pakistan. I thought that was incredibly ironic. He's fine, by the way. And I could talk about all kinds of different upheavals in the world. It's just stuff that's worth paying attention to. 
There's many false prophets who will lead many astray. So I worry that we think prophet means a dude in a robe with a sash, a long beard, and a head covering. That's not what a prophet is. A prophet is called a truth declarer. These are false prophets, so you could say they are lie declarers. How many people are selling us something that isn't true? Trying to tell us that we're better off if, if we align with them, if we do their program, if we believe their beliefs. The prophets of the Bible, the, what we hear in the Bible is truth, and they direct us to Jesus. The, pro, the false prophets are telling us that there's some kind of political solution, there's a health solution, there's a miracle solution, there's all kinds of different things. Where are these false prophets? Where are many false prophets? Online. The news media, social media, people telling us, trying to get us to align with things that are counter-truth, counter-Jesus. Another sign is that the gospel would be proclaimed in the whole world. And I can't remember the year. I just remember reading a couple articles about during COVID because we had to broadcast online, God took what was evil, the lockdown, and used it for good. The gospel went to every nation in the world during COVID because of the internet. And so maybe every, every person hasn't heard, so we maintain our missionary zeal. We are committed as a church and uh, here at Crosspoint, and our missionaries are committed to get the gospel to the world um, who hasn't heard yet or hasn't had a good enough chance. But there's more signs. Jesus said that like in the days of Noah, things are going to be happening. People will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage just like they were in the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah marked by? Violence. They were just continually violent. And they were rebelling against God. They were rebelling against his warnings because Noah was out there giving warnings. And they were continuing on like nothing was wrong, like nothing was going to happen. And then one day something happened and it was all over, peril. They, they were destroyed in a minute. They thought everything was fine. The same thing happened with um, Sodom and Gomorrah. In Luke 17, Luke adds, just like in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and they were suddenly taken off guard. And the readiness that Christ is, is emphasizing here is that, hey, don't be taken off guard. Pay attention to what's going on in you. Do not miss what's coming because when the end comes, when the ra it will be sudden. It won't, you won't be able to recover from it. And he says, when you see all of these things come together, now, all of these things coming together is very good news for the believer. If you have confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ today, you're in good shape. But if you're an unbeliever, Jesus is showing you, believe. Come with me. But those are signs of his coming, but there's also signs of the tribulation, and I just want to cover three of them. Number one, the church is gone. The rapture happens. All Christian people in your family, your friendships, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, at the hospital, on the police force, at the fire department, in the military, in the government, in the restaurant, at the mechanic, the Christian people will be gone. 
the, the, the influence for good, the influ influence for compassion is gone. Christian support services, Christian relief agencies, it's going to be really messy, especially here in America. It's going to be a tough time. And during that time, somehow or another, a powerful, smart, slick, and compelling political uh, person will rise to power and institute his form of what he thinks the world will be better off with. He's going to rule the world. He's going to create a one-world government, institute a one-world economy, a one-world religion, where he is worshipped, of course, eventually. Can you think of anyone who might think they're up for this task? Anybody in the world at all? I can think of at least three, just easy, without even trying. Figures who think they got it wired and they know the best way forward for the entire world. It's not a stretch here in 2023. But what's coming along with all of that? Jesus said, greater tribulation on earth than any other time in history. And it just lasts seven years. So greater than the Civil War, greater than World War II, greater than Vietnam. It's going to be a horrible, awful, no good time. And here's the thing. I don't want to be here. I don't want any of you to be here. And better yet, Jesus doesn't want any of us to be here. And that's the message of Matthew 24. It's a warning, and it's showing us the way. He's telling us to watch and be ready, but the signs do us no good if we don't pay attention. How many times have I heard in my almost 60 years of living from this seat over here, Jim, I think you missed the turn. Signs don't do you any good if you're not paying attention. Now, driving down the road, I can U-turn and, and recover. When it comes to the tribulation, when it comes to the eternity, there's no recovery. There's no U-turn. We got to get this right. And so Jesus gave us this talk so that we would be ready. The signs show everyone in the room, believers and unbelievers, how to be ready, what to do to be ready. They encourage us to be ready. So, if Jesus came back believer, if he came back today, would you be ready? What's readiness for the believer? Turn to 2 Peter 3. And here's Peter. And he says some things that are similar to even to what Jesus said. Verse 1, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles, knowing this. First of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming forever since the fathers fell asleep? All things were continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they will deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word, and that by means of these, the world that then existed, existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, as in the days of Noah. He's repeating his Lord. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is a thousand years, 
and a thousand years as one day. So keep in mind, God sees time different than us. The Lord is, and here's my favorite part of the thing. The opportunity, especially if you don't yet know Jesus. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. So he sees time different. That's what he's explaining there. A day's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. He sees it different than us, but why is he taking his time? He explains it here. But the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that all should believe. Why is God waiting? It's so more and more more people could believe. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, listen, believer, this is for us, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. So the first thing you need to do if you're a believer the thing that you should be doing all the time, the thing that he says here you should be diligent to do is living right. Jesus didn't invite us to follow him so that we can flippantly go through life and do whatever we want to do. We repented of that when we got saved. We are following him now. We're on his team. We're on his program. We're living right. And part of living right, and if you look through Matthew 24, you see this too, it's enduring. It's having an enduring faith because, look, life gets so hard sometimes. Some of us have hard events. Some of us have really difficult seasons. Some people have multiple difficult events. Some people have multiple difficult seasons. I look at some of the people in our church that go through just hard, hard, hard times repeatedly and over time, and I wonder if they're not from the lineage of Job. It's so hard. But in spite of that, live right. Maybe you feel ripped off. Live right. That's the call. Why? So that you can personally have confidence that your faith is in Christ because when we mess up, we doubt. But also so that we can have credibility to do the next thing we need to do, which is share our faith. When we're inconsistent in our faith, when we're vacillating between light and darkness in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own actions, it makes it, hard, it makes it hard to feel confident to share our faith. And God calls us to this holiness so that we have gospel credibility in a world that wants to question everything about God, including your and my life. And so we can't give them an excuse. We need to live right. We need to share our, our, our faith And you can invite people to Friend Day. That's a great way to share your faith is get them to church, whether it's Friend Day or any other way. But you have a a field of influence. And for you, it might be three people. For another, it might be 30 people. For me, it might be 300 people because I get to stand up here. Use your influence for the cause of the gospel. Well, I'm not skilled. I've never been trained. I can't talk. Okay, admit it. Hey, John man, I've been thinking about this for a while. I really want to share with you what I believe, but I'm not very capable. 
would you mind reading this and hand them a small little gospel track that you like, that you enjoy, that you think's good, and just say, would you please read this and uh, think about it and let me know what you think about it? What's the worst thing that can happen? Sorry, I don't want to do that. Okay. It's going to happen. If Jesus was rejected, we might be too, but we need to be sharing our faith, but then we're going to rest in hope. I've said it many times, the world is an awful no-good place sometimes. It's really wacky. It can be hard in the whole span of the universe. It can be really hard in your life, but we have hope. We have the hope of the promises of Jesus Christ. If you believe, this is a promise from Jesus in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so the promise is as clear as day from Jesus Christ, that if you believe in him, if you're part of his beloved, if you're part of his family, if you've gone from being an unbeliever to a believer, he promises you a home in heaven, and no matter what happens here, good, bad, or horrible, that heaven is waiting for you, if you believe. But the passage continues, because there's a guy there with some questions. Thomas said to him, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life no man comes to the Father except through me, and for the unbeliever today, readiness means believe in Jesus Christ. You go from being totally, completely un, unprepared to ready by putting your belief in Jesus Christ today. I did that many years ago, and I sat in a seat where you sat and heard a message similar to this many times for many weeks, and one day it clicked. And I went forward at an invitation and I was shown some scripture about how to believe in Jesus Christ, that to believe in him as the way, the truth, and the life is the only way I'm going to get to heaven. And that he did for me on the cross what I cannot do for myself. He forgave my sins. There's no way you, before a holy, righteous, perfect God, you can make up enough good to compensate for your sin. And God knows that, and so he knows that and loving you sent Jesus to take care of that. That's why Jesus died on the cross. You know what else you can't do? You can't make yourself live forever. People have tried. Some of them look really funny. <laughs> um, they try, but you just can't do it. But what Jesus did at the resurrection gives you victory over death. And what we call death here, the Bible calls falling asleep because we're going to go from one state to another state, a glorious state with heaven, uh, with Jesus Christ in heaven. But the way you get that unbeliever, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You can't trust in your own way. You can't tr trust in falsehood. You've got to align with Jesus. You've got to pray that prayer, not just with your mind or your mouth, but with your being, with your, with your, your soul, with who you are, you turn your life over to Jesus and you pray that prayer that says, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. Come into my life today. Be my Savior and be my Lord. That's a prayer of belief. 
It's words, but when it matches your heart, your life will change. So I want to invite everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads, and think. If you're a believer in the room, and we say that as a believer, the first part of writing this is living right, and you have just like a stab in your heart that says, I know I'm not living right. Could you just take that to the Lord right now in private and say, Jesus, I know I'm not living up to what you've called me to be and do. Forgive me. And would you also help me, Lord, help me do the things that I fight against internally. Help me to be who you have called me to be. And if you're an unbeliever in the room, you are totally unprepared. You're not ready. But you can be. You can be ready to meet Jesus Christ today by simply praying that prayer. And if that's the desire of your heart, in spite of the resistance you might be feeling internally, like I felt when I sat exactly where you're sitting, that you would determine that the very right thing to do is to accept Christ as your Savior and push through that resistance. Would you pray? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life today. Be my Savior and be my Lord. And if you pray that prayer with a heart of belief, you're ready. So Jesus, we thank you. We can only thank you. The gifts you give us the gift of forgiveness, the gift of power and comfort in this world because of your presence, the gift of a promised hope in heaven together with you in a room that you prepared for us comes because of you. So thank you. Thank you that you save us. Thank you for the believers in this room, for any unbelievers we do pray that they find you and that their, their lives are just changed and that they go from facing a life of peril to a life of hope because of what you've done. And we thank you for the possibility and the promise. In Jesus' name, amen.